0: This week uh, and this coming weekend marks the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The Clare journalist Colin Flynn visited uh, Ukraine uh, for the third time since the war began. Recently, he was speaking with Peter O'Connell about the psyche of the Ukrainian soldiers and the impact on children, hope and conscription. Let's have a listen. I'm delighted to be joined by Clare journalist uh, Colin Flynn speaking to us from Rome um, this morning. And Colin you've been in Kiev recently. And uh, it was your third visit. So I suppose your, your impressions.
1: Peter, very good morning. And you're right, I just got back from Ukraine a few days ago. And impressions... Comparing it to the first time I went over, I have to say that the mood of the people is much weaker now. You can feel like the, the psyche of the Ukrainian people is really being strained and put under pressure. When this war began, as you'll remember two years ago now, the the world's eyes were on Ukraine and people were supporting Ukraine and on social media, everyone was changing their, um, their profile photograph to the Ukrainian colours and all the politicians were going. But now, as the war drags on and there seems to be no developments, it seems that the eyes of the world are shifting now to what's happening in Israel and Gaza and in other conflicts around the world, and the Ukrainian people are being forgotten a bit. But with that as well, you have less will to help them. That's what they were saying as the feeling. Less political powers across the world are, you know, being as fast with aid. And as a result of that, the people are suffering more and more. And the Ukrainians there, Peter, are asking themselves, how much longer? They thought it would last a couple of months. They never thought it would last a year. They never thought it would last two years. And when I first went, all the people I interviewed were saying to me, Column we'll be victorious. We will win this war. Of course we can beat the Russians, of course. They were kind of oblivious to the fact that a lot of people knew they were hugely outnumbered by the Russians and outweaponed as well. But again, with that global support, they said, well, with the world behind us, we can surely beat the Russians. Now, when the Ukrainians I spoke to, when they hear of the rumours of a hundred, two, three, four hundred thousand 400,000 dead, when they see the graveyards popping up around the country, these new graveyards filled with graves of young men, they're starting to ask themselves,
0: well, what does victory mean and what is the cost of victory? And mention of young men, Column, you focused on the I suppose psychological impact of returning soldiers.
1: Yes, I'm you know, I normally cover the Vatican and Pope Francis working for EWTN here at the Vatican in Rome, but as part of that we branch off and we cover things that the Catholic Church is involved in, which is kind of anything and everything across the world. So we went and we filmed some of the work being done by the Order of Malta, which is this Catholic institution that tries to help people who are suffering the most. And one of the things, as the war has changed, what they have been doing has changed as well. So at the beginning, it was just trying to find homes for people when their homes were tanked by the Russians, get them food, get them generators when the power was being blown out. But now their big work is in the field of psychology. And they are paying for psychologists to deal with these guys, again, in their early 20s uh, or in their 30s who were, who had never held a gun maybe a year ago, never held a gun in their life. And then all of a sudden they were on the front line shooting at other young guys that look just like them, that are frightened just like them as well, but have a Russian badge on their, their uniform instead of a Ukrainian one. And so they have to come back then and deal with that psychological trauma of having killed people of having seen their own fellow soldiers being shot and killed. And then there was one young man that I interviewed. He was a Ukrainian soldier. He was only 24 and he was captured by the Russians and he spent a year in a prison in Russia. And he, was, um, he told me that he was electrocuted by them during interrogations, uh, made kneel every morning and sing the Russian national anthem, mocked and humiliated, threatened that him and his other fellow soldiers were going to be sent to cut down forests in Siberia or that they would just be killed. Eventually he was released as part of a prisoner exchange program. But it just the the psychological trauma of this is something that they're going to be dealing with for years to come. And the children as well, the children. Just think if you're a four-year-old child in Ukraine, half of your life has been during war times. Maybe these children have seen things that you and I, thank God, will never see uh, in our lives. And they've seen these in their young years, people being killed in front of them, their parents being killed and it's uh, it's horrific
0: and uh, i mean the impact on on children is is going to be as you said long lasting it's it's not going to be something that they'll have the capacity at the moment to 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 deal with
1: and not only yeah where do you put them you know obviously where, where do you home them where do you house them how do you feed them how do you make put them back into education they've been out of school How do you help rebuild the Ukraine? But then those psychological scars that are much harder to heal. And we went to an orphanage in a town called Vorsel, which is just outside the capital, Kiev. And we interviewed this lady and they're struggling to keep up with all the children who are coming to them. Some of the children, their parents were killed uh, during the war. Some of them have fathers who are fighting. Maybe the mothers had died and the the father is fighting on the front line. But then uh, other children, the director told me, their parents gave birth to them in the hospital, but the parents have lost their home or they lost everything they had. And just that the parents are finding it so hard to cope themselves with the trauma of war that they just are overwhelmed and they can't bear the idea of trying to care for a child. So for them, it's a heartbreaking choice. They say, well, will I hold on to this baby of mine and we'll live in a small shelter together and we'll maybe live hand to mouth or will I give it up to this orphanage? and another family somewhere else maybe can adopt it and give it a better future. So there's so many things that you don't think of. You know, it's not just the men being shot on the front line. There's this huge knock on effect. And, and then the fear in people, Peter, as well, because the no one knows how many have died because, of course, the Ukrainian government don't want to announce the number of dead soldiers because they want young men to keep lining up to join the military to serve their country. But the US government has estimated it's around half a million, so 500,000 men from both armies, from the Russians and the Ukrainians. So these estimates have been circulating on social media. And now young men who haven't already served in the army, who have been dodging conscription, the fear is palpable because when you go around cities like Lviv in the West, myself and our TV crew, when we walked around, we noticed it's all women. It's all girls. Everywhere you looked was just uh, packs of girls all over the street. And we said, where are the men? And our guides, the Ukrainian guides, told us, well, the men are one, serving, two, have been killed, or they're hiding at home because they do not want to go and fight. And if they're caught on the street, if they get a tap on the shoulder from the uh, Ukrainian army who are patrolling, and they say, let us see your papers. Have you served? No, you're coming with us now. And they take them there and then. And they're put into the, a uniform and sent to the front line.
0: Um, I mean, that sounds like conscription.
1: Well, it is conscription. And, and the big question now is uh, who should go and fight and who shouldn't. So they have conscription in the country, the ages. 27, but now they're passing legislation in parliament. Well, it's gone through the first round in Kiev, where they want to bring it down to the age of 25. They want to broaden the amount of careers and professions that it can they can tap into. Uh, up until now, I was I've been told that it's been quite easy for people to avoid conscription in Ukraine. You know, you can get a letter from someone in your local office that what you're doing is vital and you have to, you know, you're serving in some other way. Even on our production team, I brought a crew with me, but I also hired a Ukrainian crew. And I'm looking at the cameraman I hired who was a guy in his twenties. And he told me, well, look, actually I'm doing a PhD. I took on the PhD just so I don't have to go serve in the army because they're exempt. Uh, our translator, she said, well, my boyfriend, he's in his thirties, but he's a singer in a band here in Ukraine. So he's keeping spirits high. Now these people as well, when we were having dinner at night, they told me no compromise. We won't give up any of our land to Russia. We want victory." And I was kind of arguing with them back and forth saying, well then, how does this work? You can't have it both ways. You can't have it that, well, you're exempt because of your PhD. You're exempt because your boyfriend's a singer. You're, you don't want your brothers to go or your friends to go. Who's going then? And it, you do see this kind of elitist class thing that you see in all wars where it's like, well, the bumpkins from the country, the uneducated people, they can go to the front line. You know we can afford to lose them but me with my phd or my boyfriend who's a talented singer they can't go and lift up a gun and go to the war are you crazy so in ukraine you have this big um controversial dividing point in the country now yes most people agree with the conscription but who will be conscribed who goes and who stays that's the big question and actually i interviewed another young soldier and i put that to him i said you've been on the front line You've seen what it's like, you've seen people getting killed, you know the effects of this, but you've also seen how you and your troops were able to stop the Russians take the capital Kiev. You've seen certain parts of Ukraine that were taken by Russia be liberated again because of the work of the troops. Do you think other young men should be dragged off the street and put to the front line because they need the men? And he said, well, yes, on one hand, some of the guys had been there for the full two years, young guys. They deserve a break and they deserve to be replaced. He said, one of my friends came back and he had a young baby and the baby kept calling him uncle because she didn't even realize this was her father. She hadn't seen him in two years. He said, on the other hand, if someone really, really doesn't want to go and they've no experience, he said, why do we want guys like this? We don't want, we don't want men like this because when the battle starts, All they do is hide and they run. And as a fellow soldier, you're responsible for their life as well as yours. So they just become a burden to the troops. But it's i I don't know what the answer is, but it's a very difficult one. Who will go and who will stay?
0: And Cullen, just finally, um, a number of rallies to mark the second anniversary of the invasion are due to happen uh, this weekend uh, across Ireland, including one in Ennis on Saturday. Is there a feeling in Ukraine that they're still being supported internationally?
1: Yes, they know that people want to help. And like when I was there, they said, oh, you're a journalist, great, get the word out there, but you can feel the fatigue. I think they're sick of journalists coming over to tell the story, particularly people who give personal interviews. They have this idea that if they talk to me on camera or any journalist, that their life is going to change the moment we air the interview. And then in terms of aid, they have a lot, a lot of aid because there's the world sensed so much at the beginning of the war, but it's the psychological help that they need now more than most. But I do think that when it comes to actually the military aid and the military tanks that they need, that is where they feel. And you'll see Zelensky is uh, constantly traveling and speaking in front of world governments saying that aid should not be decreasing. If anything, it should be increasing if they're going to beat the Russians. From what I heard when I was there, uh, again, we don't know the, the exact figures, but from good sources, the Ukrainian army is set at around 700,000 men today, so seven hundred. Uh, troops on the ground, 700,000, and the Russian army is somewhere in the region of 1.8 million men. They're outnumbered, they're outmen, and if they're going to win it, what well, the sense they get is that they can't do it on their own, they're going to need more people.
0: And that was the Clare journalist Column Flynn speaking with Peter O'Connell about his recent visit to Ukraine ahead of the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of that country.